Mike, how you doing, man? I'm well. How are you, Ty? Good. You're looking spiffy today. Well, I'm at the office. People don't think I work, but I actually do have a job. So That's just another room in your house. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> My office is full of, uh, has memorabilia all over the, signed memorabilia all over the wall. So You got to make it feel comfortable. Make it feel at home. Yeah, I got Cal Ripken right behind me. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, so you and I wanted to, to real quickly put out a, a reaction to yesterday's interview with Michael Rubin, CEO of Fanatics. He was on CNBC, for those that don't know, and uh, I think he spoke for, what, seven or eight minutes, and three, three and a half of those minutes were dedicated to talking about the sports card industry and kind of his perspective. You and I both texted each other, then called each other and thought, holy moly, we're in a world of trouble. <laughs> What the heck, man? So let, let's start with this. You watched the video. What was your immediate reaction after watching the interview with Ruben? Holy moly, we're in trouble. That was um, just, they want to take over the entire spectrum of the sports card universe, period. That's what I gleaned from that. What, what, what specifically made you think that? Uh, well, they talked about making a, a complete client experience, you know, or not client experience, a complete uh, collector experience through grading. And they talked, you know, they, all this was in passing, like all this was very subtle and, you know, no specifics were given, but grading and distribution and online storage and, you know, all those things I'm like going breaking even I'm like, wow, they want to be all of it to everybody and you can't. Yeah, I think his exact quote is their vision is to bring it all together. This is really about our vision to create an incredible collector's experience, bringing all the pieces together. And to be quite frank, the trading our companies are good manufacturers, but they didn't have a vision for building much more of a direct-to-consumer model and then bringing all the pieces together. Which sent like chills down my spine in a neg very negative way. Thinking, yeah. uh, first off, there's going to be a lot of people that are very angry because they're going to be out of a job and hobby. And second, I think he's undervaluing, underappreciating how important the other roles and people are and what they do in the hobby. Well, there's a hobby ecosystem, right? And I think that it all has existed in relative harmony for decades. And they want to flip that completely on its head that ecosystem and change all the dynamics of the hobby period. You agree? I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was as bold to say that, right? It's, we don't, they've done things the wrong way. We we've already experienced what we can do with our, you know, our previous experience and, you know, memorabilia, and we're going to bring that to sports cards. Oof. I mean, have you ever bought anything on Fanatic's website? I have not because everything's no. so expensive. Like, no, I'll go to Academy nope. and buy for half or wear some relative sports card, sports store and buy a jersey or T-shirt or whatever for a third of the price or half the price or whatever. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. So he made a comment. We'll, we'll dissect this a little bit. He made a comment where currently the way you get cards, there's a lot of good stuff surrounded by a lot of bad stuff you know this is really about a completely different vision for where the trading card industry is going i think if you really think about the collector experience it's pretty brutal today you got to buy 
primary cards with so many people kind of in the middle of it. When you buy a primary card, then you sell secondary cards somewhere else. Um, and people are just frustrated with having to open cards and filter through the junk to get to the really good things. When you heard that, what what was your kind of takeaway from from that? And I, and, and I think it's just kind of one of those, like, I don't think he really understands the hobby when you make a comment like that. Yeah, I mean, isn't all the, isn't the part of opening packs is filtering. Th- I mean, they have to make, they can't just make all great cards or can they? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, are they only going to release hits, so to speak? Is it only going to be, you know, no more base cards? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and my thought there is like obviously Tops and Panini, they have their hit only driven products. And we know where those sit in the hobby. But year in, after year after year, you have the consistent flagship products where you, yes, you do have 99% junk in Ruben's eyes, but it outsells every single release because that's just what collectors enjoy. Well, everything can't be high end. You've got a spectrum of, of budgets within the hobby. Not everybody can afford. Very few people can afford triple threads and definitive and transcendent and all these. Yeah. Super, and I'm just thinking of top products off the top of my head. That's a very small part of the hobby that can afford those things. They love the idea of ripping packs from flagship products and uh, even online exclusive stuff like fire and, you know, Ginter, all these heritage, all these products have a spot in the hobby that is massive actually. Yeah. And I think they're undervaluing that at least. Yeah. From these- things we're hearing like right we don't know where all this is going but for we sure well our job is to speculate yeah well i mean and i think what i what i did not hear in in that three and a half minutes and again in fairness like you said it's quick we don't know exactly what they're thinking but it's very like we're going to focus in on what makes the most money and what these new like investors care about you don't hear the word like we're going to make sure collectors the people who have like held this hobby up are going to really, really feel like we're, we've got their back and we're going to put out stuff that really supports the collector. That you, That is a huge swing and miss, if you ask me. So another tone that I heard from him, now granted, this interview was on CNBC, which is a financial network, but he used a lot of financial terms like EBITDA and yeah. um, he used what his, he even said what did his investors expect in a rate of return on this deal. Uh, I think he's used five or six. You, you could, you'll play the clip, I'm sure, but I don't remember exactly what he said. But he, he it was very investor money driven conversation. Granted, again, in fairness, it was on CNBC, so that should be what they're talking about. But nothing about the collector. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and the Squawk Box team, they 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 were definitely digging into that, right? I think they they mentioned that. All right, Ruben, we we need to know how you're coming up with this valuation where tops has historically been valued at about a billion bucks max top in and half of that was all their you know candy and junk so let's just assume half of its cards your 500 million dollar company you're valuing at 10 billion dollars what are we missing here yeah first and foremost this will surprise you but the traditional trading card manufacturers will make close to a billion dollars in ebitda this year on a combined basis um, there are several companies that manufacture trading cards Tops, Panini, Upper Deck. In aggregate, it's a highly profitable business. Again, close to a billion dollars in EBITDA. That's all selling to distributors who then sell to retailers, who then sell to resellers, who then put them on eBay, who then sell them to end collectors. 
So, um, you know, look, investors, you know, these are very smart investors. They look to get at least, at least a three to five times return. And when you think about taking this model much more direct to consumer and then adding in, you know, kind of an integrated collector's experience of having, you know, the primary card sold, the secondary capabilities with grading and breaking and insurance and, and, and storage and financing. Uh, this is a very massive opportunity. But, you know, I gave you one really important reference point, which is the existing manufacturers today make close to a billion dollars selling to distributors. That was quite interesting. And I love your take on this. He said, you know, what people aren't seeing is that, yeah, there's a half, half a billion to a billion in cards, but there's this whole other supply chain where there's money being sucked in from all these angles, distributors, resellers, retailers, that we're going to go ahead and bring together into one and we're going to capture all those profits. What yeah. do you think about that? And what kind of what's the error in that statement, do you think? Well, they, again, going back to that ecosystem that exists, the tops prints a, a box and it's cost and it's $50 sold to the distributor. The distributor marks it up to a hundred. The, then they sell it to the hobby shop. The hobby shop marks it up to 120 and sells it to the end customer. I think that what they're going to do is eliminate those people touching it, so to speak, those the quote unquote middle people, middlemen, and just make all that money themselves. And they'll sell it online for a hundred bucks. They may not even sell it for 120. They're like, we'll, we'll just, just make all that money. And, you know, Panini has tried to do this. Tops is doing this a little bit, selling online exclusive products where they're doing that. Panini doing, you know, their uh, Dutch auction type product releases online, trying to get the maximum amount of money out of every product. We've seen that. You don't hear about that a whole lot anymore. Why? Because collectors go, no, thank you. Nope. And again, a lot's to be figured out and seen over time. But the the error with that is, again, you're cutting out the ability to go to a store, a hobby store, and have an experience and buy a product. Again, will they still distribute to hobby stores? Maybe. Uh, that's still to be seen. Be hard pressed to just cut out all hobby stores from distrib distributions of new product, but wouldn't shock me, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, th those are really good points. I think, um, you know, we were in Vegas a couple weeks ago and there was a comment I put on Twitter and you and I spoke about it on one of the videos where a prominent dealer said that I think the big thing that scares me is that Fanatics doesn't understand how important people across this ecosystem, across this channel are to helping collectors buy things, consistently buy things they don't really need. And I think this is where, when he talks about like squeezing the supply chain and being like the, the, the one-stop shop, I, I really think they're underappreciating, undervaluing like everybody's role in continuing to keep this hobby like on fire. Yeah. Maybe people don't understand, and, and you can even speak to this at a greater level than I can, but when distributors go to hobby shops and say, hey, we're going to give you an allocation of a popular product, but you have to buy an unpopular, you know, you can't just pick the popular products and, and take allocations on those. You have to take it across the spectrum of all the crap. And so it allows Panini and Tops to unload the things that are not typically desired, right? And what I think fanatics might do, the, the way they could solve that problem, if they cut out these distributors and the, and the hobby shops, is online stuff just becomes print to order. It's all pre-order. You know, they'll set, all right, we're going to have a window of time that you can order 
X product. And then they just print it to order. Very similar in terms of business of probably how they run their, their Jersey, you know, you know, athletic wear business where they're not, they don't have an inventory of one Soto jerseys. Most likely they just print them as they, as they get orders for those online. And yep. so I think you'll see that this window, the window closes, they print the product, ship it out to whoever ordered it. And that way they're not stuck with this giant inventory of crappy product, which in the previous ecosystem was just distributed through distributors and they would be left holding the bag. Hey, good luck selling all this. And then the hobby shop owners, like you said, as a person comes in to the shop, they're trying to rid their shelves of this unpopular product. They'll either slash prices or, hey, if you buy this box, I'll give you this box for half off. Or, you know, there's wheeling and dealing that can happen at a a granular level that that doesn't happen online. It's either you buy it or you don't, right? There's no negotiation happening. Yeah, no, you nailed it. I mean, that 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 plays a, a massive role in this these numbers that they come up with. And then you you start to factor in the group breakers who drive so much of the demand, right? And they're constantly, I mean, they're salesmen, right? They're selling and building client bases and they're, they're able to pitch products and, you know, mixers and all these things of stuff that I think if you go on the Fanatic site and you see like, okay, print on demand this particular product and you're like, I'm good, man. I'm good. Like that starts to weigh on the sustainability of this whole idea, I think. Which might lead to kind of what our, if you think about what's the ultimate conclusion today, if we can think out in the future, knowing so many things can change. There's so many moving parts to this. Yeah. But I think our opinion of what the future of the hobby is will change over time as more and more information comes out and comes to light of how they're going to tackle all this. We've got still years to figure this out. Yeah. But if you were to say today, knowing what we know, as more information comes on board, our our opinions are allowed to change. What is your opinion about the future of the hobby? Uh, I think their current approach will absolutely destroy the hobby. Yeah, I do too. Uh, oh, I we agree. And that's sad to think about. Like, are we, and I don't want everybody to be clear, everybody clear on this. We're not saying the hobby is going to be ruined. We're saying as what we know right now, it's not a good trajectory <laughs> that, that things no. are towards. And it makes me sad for the hobby, which is it good. Does. It's good for vintage, right? Well, well I think that's the, a key takeaway. I think vintage is going to be a huge positive benefactor of this and i even think some of the modern maybe not ultra modern but modern to ultra modern graded stuff could also could also be a benefactor of all this the next uh the next 24 uh, months right you're saying what's that you're saying the current stuff that's out right 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 yeah i mean i think there's just going to be a lot of like uh um remorse for not buying more of this because uh, of the new model that comes out and you're like, Oh, I missed the good old days. I want to go back and grab this and be a lot of that. That's going to play huge, right? The good old days mentality. I'm just going to go buy the stuff that I loved, you know, for looking at 2025 or whatever back in 2021 when things were great or things were different and things were normal, what we call normal. That doesn't mean that fanatics can't attract an entirely new type of collector to the hobby. It's a good point. You know, um, but the people in the hobby currently that enjoy it for what it is today, 
will long for that feeling of, which is sad to say, nostalgia all the way back in 2021. Um, right. But <laughs> again, it goes like a, a 1955 Topps Willie Mays is not going to change no matter what Fanatics does. Yeah. Right. A Mickey Mantles and Hank Aaron's and all these players that people collect now, I think it'll be more. I don't want to collect the new stuff. I've got hobby dollars to spend. I'm going to go collect some of the old stuff now. I think yeah. you'll see, you could see a shift in dollars. Again, not to say that more people can't be attracted to the hobby under a new business model. That's certainly possible. Uh, that, that like the new way of doing things. Good for them. It won't be me, most likely, given yeah. what you're hearing now. 100%. I, I, I have not for one second thought, I can't wait for this to happen. I'm going to jump all over this and buy this product. Like there's been nothing said that has me super excited about what's going to happen. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's sticking out to me. It's like, there's nothing, there's no carrot being dangled for a guy like me. and Apparently a guy like you to get me excited about 2026. I don't want it to get here. I want time to slow down. Yep. I agree. Good takes, man. Good takes. Hey, On that do, we note, have a new don't, do we have a new show coming out? Yeah, so we're excited to talk about this. I'll show a clip of our intro that uh, our our little uh, in-house savant Matt Coleman has put together. But yeah, you and I are starting a new show next week. Yeah, you came up with a great name in about five seconds. You want to talk about it? <laughs> it's uh, it's gonna be called On the Fly with Mike and Ty, and it's gonna be just us doing this and talking about hobby news. And we we found that these types of videos are popular. You guys love just people talking about the hobby and, and you may not agree with Ty and I's opinions all the time. That's okay. Uh, and Ty and I don't agree with each other all the time, which is, which is also okay. And I think leads to great discussion. The point is to have a discussion about it. The point is to, you know, all to all opinions are welcome. And this is going to be us just talking about general hobby news that's happening. We're going to try to do it as a weekly show. That's our goal. And, uh, yeah, came up with a name and about two. So we were like, "What's what, what should we name it?" And uh, <laughs> it's stuck. It's, it's stuck. I think. I think the idea too is to be a little bit more formalized. I, I know you and I are off the cuff with a lot of stuff, and so we're trying to put a little bit of structure around it so that people know what to expect. Yep. And uh, we'll bring in some good guests. We'll do some live shows, and we'll make it uh, something you can look forward to. In addition to what we already do, right? So just one more piece that we can throw into the network and and work on. So excited to do and, it with you. It'll be a podcast as well. So yep. you can listen to it either on, you can watch it either on YouTube or listen to it on your favorite podcast uh, platform and we'll have it there too. Perfect. Well, I'll show the clip of the intro and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next week. All right. See you, man.